All right, I want to just mention real quick, uh, this morning uh, we're preaching out of Luke chapter 2. I want to talk about Simeon and Anna this morning. Uh, it's the end of Epiphany. It's kind of weird because Epiphany is the manifestation of God to the Gentiles. So remember, we don't know the day that Jesus was born. We, we certainly don't think it was December 25th. We commemorate that day. But there is an historic day of when the wise men appeared in Bethlehem, and that date has been followed from the earliest times in the church, uh, and that's January 6th. And originally, uh, if you want to know your history, originally the big feast was Epiphany, and the feast of the incarnation, or the birth of Jesus, because they didn't know the day, uh, it was celebrated along with uh, Epiphany on January 6th. Some of you remember that because of the big partying and things that happened, uh, they had a feast to the day of the invincible sun. It was the sun god, not S-O-N, but S-U-N in Rome. Uh, they had all kind of like a week of partying, and they, they play, they tease because I always say this word. They had orgies in the streets of Rome, uh, and so uh, that early, but the, the young believers, they didn't want them to be so vulnerable to this massive party that if you went outside of your house, because it happened in the streets, it was very difficult. So they moved the feast of the incarnation or the birth of Jesus, and they commemorated it or celebrated on December 25th. All right, I say all that because you're going to watch Discovery Channel one day, and they're going to say, Jesus wasn't born the 25th, and you're going to have a crisis of faith. Um, <laughs> Just so you know, until about 50 years ago, everybody knew that Jesus was not, that the church was not claiming. The point is, we don't know what day. A lot of people think it was uh, spring or fall because of the shepherds, etc. But the truth is, we just simply don't know, all right? Uh, but we commemorate. But in Epiphany then, Epiphany, the manifestation of God, especially to the Gentiles, but also, of course, Jew first. So this Epiphany season is all about how Jesus submitted himself in his humanity completely under the will and purpose of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how God is manifested through his childhood and his life. And so Epiphany is manifesting his human nature, which is consecrated to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have these weeks where we focus and we emphasize about Jesus and the things that he does and how God originally intended men and women to live for God, powered by the Spirit, doing the works of Jesus. And so this is a season where we talk about that. And then we move into Lent, where we remember at what great cost. Uh, you know, Jesus created a new humanity in his perfect and sinless life. In uh, his death, he allowed us to move from old humanity in Adam and to be adopted into new humanity. So meaning Jesus did all this great stuff. He showed us what God intended us to be, but we couldn't get into the new humanity without the cross. So the purpose of the cross is to deal with and to cleanse us from our sins and to earn us the right of salvation that allows us to transfer from the kingdom of darkness with the first Adam into the kingdom of his beloved son, the, the, the father, son, Jesus. And that happens through the atonement and all that. So, so this is a, a time of transition. And this is septagesima. And septagesima is a big word. And uh, they let me use the big words and then they pay me extra. Uh, for the big words. Uh, but Septuagesa basically is correlating to 70 days before Easter. Now, the idea was in the early church, there was 40 days of fasting, uh, following the example of Moses, Elijah, Jesus, etc. So, so there's these 40 days of fasting. Um, and the idea is that we're preparing ourselves to be empty. The point of fasting is to choose a type of human emptiness of food that God may honor it and to pour out his grace. All right, it's a grace to be empty that God may fill us. All right, now, 
Shrove Tuesday or Mardi Gras, the original idea and the readings for Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, is that grace precedes. It's all about grace. And the idea is we would never presume to go into Ash Wednesday, one day of public fasting, and then Lent is all about private fasting. All right, but we would never presume to fast or to do anything in such a way that we thought somehow we were getting a gold star and we're, we're earning something. We don't earn anything. And, and we wouldn't dare go into that season without knowing that we are absolutely secure and loved in Jesus. And because Jesus loved us and because he saved us, then by the power of the Spirit, we can reach out, even though we know our best, we'll never get there. We reach out because God deserves our best. But grace always stretches the arms, so to speak, of God's side and enables us. So we grow and change by giving God our best, knowing, I mean, if you think about it too much, you realize, oh, our best isn't good enough. But we give our best because that's what he deserves. But it's never good enough. That's why Jesus died and poured out all that grace and love for us on the cross uh, to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then he sent his spirit so that we could be empowered, okay, by faith and grace. So it's a powerful season of grace. I, you know, some of the people grew up, we have a lot of Catholics and married to Baptists and stuff in our church. And a lot of people grew up and it was sort of miserable. All right, and it was sort of uh, this terrible thing, and, and I grew up, you know, Baptist, and so we thought, oh, those Catholics, they think they're getting, you know, points or whatever. We, you know, we always said all this stuff. I haven't actually met Catholics who believe what I was told they were believe, but anyway, uh, we had all this gloom and doom, and, and, and some of you did have that, but I can tell you, when you understand that the grace of God enables us, it can become a season of so much transformation and goodness. Major shifts in us, because it's the... <coughs> It's not much. Some of us, you know, I remember one year I thought I was as good as St. Francis. I gave up a sugar in my coffee. Can you? I thought, you are Lord of all. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine something so pathetic? We make these little movements, and yet God, because he loves us, honors us, even in our brokenness and our patheticness. Some will fast all kinds of things, and, and the faith and the grace you have, that is, and some will do little things. And yet God will receive all of those things as precious to him uh, because he loves us so much in Jesus. And so we want to figure out some way that you can honor God. Now, historically, fasting has always to do with food. Some people, they fast, the internet, do it all, that's all fine. But just in, in the Bible, fasting is about food. I'm not suggesting you can't fast in any way. But other thing is, remember the thing, the Bible talks about humbling, humbling yourself. If my people humble themselves and pray, uh, sort, and all the promises and chronicles, et cetera, thank you. I always take one sip and then I go back to my old. But anyway, thank you so much. When the Bible says to humble ourselves, there's only one activity ever associated with humbling ourselves. In every case, it's fasting from food. Did you know that? If my people will humble themselves and pray. So it's referring to um, fasting. And this is an opportunity. And so every year, uh, we take 40 days. Now, why Septuagesima? Well, in the early church... They never fasted on Sunday because it was the day of the resurrection. And if you notice, now some of you say, well, I was raised in the Catholic Church and they told us we couldn't have candy on Sunday. I'm not saying I don't care, but I will tell you, all you have to do is take a calendar and if you count the days, you will notice that the Sundays are not included in the 40 days of fasting. You just got to count, okay? So I don't care what Father so-and-so told you or this person, or what the nuns told you. I don't care. I mean, I care. God bless them. But I'm just telling you, <laughs> if you can count, you'll know that the Sundays are never included, number one. Number two, a lot of people in the early church would not fast on Thursdays because Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and the Eucharist on that day. All right, so the reason, 
And there was different places. They didn't fast on Monday. They had different reasons. Uh, and, and so because of that, and historically, some people had to start tomorrow uh, with their fasting to get 40 days in by Easter. So that's why it's septagesima, roughly 70. Sexagesima next week, roughly 60. Which, I mean, it's not quite. Uh, and then quinquagesima before we actually get into uh, the Lenten season. So there's a little background for you. There's a, they're big words, but basically it's saying we're 70 days out, all right? Now, for us, we're still kind of in Epiphany, I hate to say it, because we are, uh, we don't, uh, anyway, you get the idea, all right? But these are the Sundays. So I'm going to preach one of the key passages from Epiphany, uh, and someone that uh, Susan and I have found uh, have really touched us, this passage, uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, but I want to uh, preach this this morning, and, and let's look at this coming from Luke chapter 2. I'm using the New Living. I don't always do that, but I had to be short at the 8 o'clock, and so I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help. Now, I don't have to be short at the 10.15, but at the 8 o'clock, I was trying to work, so I, it was easier for me uh, to preach out of that this morning, uh, to preach the New Living. So I don't always do, but I liked it here. It's on the screen, or you got the New King James in your pew or whatever on your phone. Oh, okay. Now, the text says that, that, that Joseph and Mary came to fulfill the law. And we need to talk about a couple things. Number one, on the eighth day, boys had to be circumcised. That was typically done at home on the eighth day. Uh, the Romans circumcised at 13, all right? Uh, the Arabs did as well. Uh, the Greeks, like a five, and then actually, I think the Romans was like 10 and five. Anyway, there's different days. Remember, in the ancient Near East, everybody circumcised, but it was mostly done as a rite of passage for the boy between uh, 12 and 13, meaning they had to own their demons or their gods at that time. So circumcision wasn't new. What was new when God told Abraham to do it was that God said, I'm going to love, because at, that, at the age of the circumcision, the, the, the young man would then be pledging his allegiance to the gods, and the gods would theoretically give them favor. That was the idea. What happens in the Abrahamic covenant is God says, no, because I love you, I love your children long before they love me. Okay, so he says, if you, you circumcise that child and you remember that I love him, I'll give him all the blessings unless he rejects me. Okay, so that's, that's the idea, all right? That was the eighth day. Now, Luke, uh, Leviticus chapter 12 tells us some interesting things about the rites of purification. And it sounds like women are getting a bad deal again. And so I think we ought to just talk for a moment about Leviticus chapter 12. You can turn to it in your Bible, but it's not perhaps what we think. And that is, a woman after, uh, a woman was considered ceremonially unclean, ceremonially unclean for seven days after giving birth because of the blood. Uh, and some of you know there's a lot of blood. I was in a hospital strike back in 1984, and, and I, was, uh, I was in a hospital strike. I went to work in one. I was in Southern California. I was finishing my senior year. I was heading that summer up to Wheaton College uh, in Illinois, but there was a hospital strike, and I was asked would I go volunteer in New York City. Now, being young and dumb, I thought New York City was fancy and new. I didn't know it was all crumbling and old, and, and, uh, and I didn't know I was going to be working in the Bronx, which was like a war zone. Uh, and so ends up, I'm working uh, at the Interfaith Hospital in, Bro in the Bronx. Uh, we had armed guards. Uh, even the, it was a big strike, which is why they needed people to help. Uh, but I can tell you, it was a very violent union at that time. 
Uh, and the union was afraid to strike and picket at the particular hospital that I was working at because it was too dangerous for them to stand in front of the hospital. That gives you an idea uh, of the situation. But they asked me, I mean, I come and I'm thinking, bright lights, big city, this is going to be glorious. Instead, it's all crumbling, falling apart. And so they said, well, you, uh, my father was a president, so I, you know, they, they, the word must have got around. So they asked me, and I had first dibs on the jobs, of where, and I was going to be basically a janitor. That's all I was going to be doing. And, and so they said, uh, where would you like to work? And I said, does, is there any air conditioning in the hospital? Some of you, I, I was skinny, but this is, yeah, this is, I'm consistent, all right? 54 now, right? So I, uh, I asked, I said, yeah, there's one floor, it's labor and delivery. I didn't think about blood and all this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, that's when I found out there's lots of blood in labor and delivery. And uh, I, I want to say it's worth the air conditioning, but I'm not sure. Even to this day, I have to look away when they give me, you know, take blood or anything, or I'll faint. So uh, uh, anyway, I got through it. The Lord got me through it. So seven days uh, it would take for purification. Now, here's where the little weird thing comes in that gets the women a little bit upset or not or whatever, questioning what's going on. In Leviticus chapter 12, it says, if it's a man-child or a boy, then uh, it takes an additional... I can't think. I think 24 days, uh, it's going to end up being 60, 80, it's going to be 4. An additional 7 days, so it's another uh, 24 days or 23 days of purification before uh, she can go in and uh, present herself for the rite of purification of women in the temple, which is to thank God for a healthy birth, a healthy life, uh, and the restoration to worship because she's no longer considered defiled by the blood of the pregnancy. All right, and that's Leviticus chapter 12. But for a girl child, there's seven days of, of ritual uncleanness because of the birth, but there's twice as many. It's like 66 days or whatever. It's double the days if it's a female uh, child. And so people say, why did the boy only have to be, she's only ritually unclean for this long and for the girl? So here's the thing. Uh, ritual uncleanness is not like sin, necessarily. Meaning the implication was not that there was something worse or different. And here's the logic of how men and women are treated differently. And the logic is this. A woman's capacity to conceive in her cycle is considered, in the Old Testament, of being the closest thing to God, the capacity for life. And so women were considered, at the point at which they were able to conceive, at the closest to God, closer than a man could be, in that sense, ritually, in the way the system worked. But at the point of her period then, because life didn't happen, the period and the cycle, therefore, represented death, and therefore, farther away from God. So the length of time is different because it was connected to the fact that a girl can conceive or a woman can conceive and produce life, but when life doesn't happen, then the death of the blood, okay? So it's all about an understanding of women and conception uh, and the beauty of that capacity. Uh, and so therefore, it was different. Also, a mother was considered free. Mothers were considered to be responsible along with the father for the sins that their kids committed until their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. But they were, the mothers were completely com, uh, uh, much more concerned about the, son, the sins of their sons. So one of the things that Jewish mothers, they say, I don't know this, but I've read that even to this day, but that mothers would feel this tremendous joy of getting their son to the, through the bar mitzvah because now he was responsible between him and God for his sins as opposed to it being on her. And so she'd be praying. Imagine, you're not just praying for your kids because you want them to do well. You're worried because you're saying, oh, he doesn't clean his room. He's disobedient parents. It's coming back on me. You know, they were, they were concerned that they had spiritual responsibility and therefore there was an obligation before God. And so that was all part of the understanding. 
All right? And so her relationship to her daughter also continued in a different way than to the son. Uh, and so that's all connected into it. But that gives you a little bit of a background. So the other thing is, in Deuteronomy and Exodus, the first child of the womb that was boy was God's. The first lamb, the first ram, the first son. All right, that's part of what God required of Egypt by killing the first son because they, they were obligated to give their first son to God and they were dedicating their sons to the false gods. All right, and that's part, I mean, I won't get all the Exodus this morning, but, but the point is, that's how it was. The, in the Old Testament, Jew, the Jews were judged at various times because there was an opportunity to redeem your son in 31 days. You had 31 days to pay a price uh, whether it was an ox, there was a sort of little of a sliding scale, but you had to pay to redeem your son and him not be, as it were, given to God. In this story, we have Joseph and Mary coming to accomplish two things. She is coming for the right of purification in the sense that she is coming to be restored to worship in the temple. The second thing she is, she is coming to present with Joseph Jesus back to God. There is no offering. There's no turtle doves. There's nothing in this. She is coming because with Joseph, they are acknowledging that God in this firstborn son is God's, and they're acknowledging that fact in this trip. All right? That's the background information. Now, we theoretically can move fast. We're almost done. <laughs> Luke 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Can you imagine if the ministry that God gave you was to long for God? Can you imagine? He said, okay, for the next 60 years, the next 80 years, uh, you're going to be on this earth, and what I want you to do, and you're going to please me by longing. I'm going to give you a glimpse of myself, and in your longing for me, that's how you're going to please me. I mean, some people got to preach the gospel, some people got to do all these, but, but Simeon, your job is to be heartbroken and to long for a kingdom which has not yet arrived. That's what he was given. He was righteous and devout, and righteous means that he did the part that he could do. We can't do everything. Uh, Joy, you're here, and when I was first here 23 years ago, I got a hold of Joy Lassiger, her husband, because I was teaching at Santa Fe, and I thought, man, all these girls were dressing, I never saw people, I would grew up in Southern California, I never saw such things, and I'm struggling with lust, and all this, and I said, man, I gotta find somebody, my bishop's up in Tennessee, so I called Arnold, uh, and I said, hey, would you mind getting together with me, and he was kind enough, because he was busy enough, I mean, I don't think he even knew I was a Christian, I was Anglican, I didn't know what to think, my little caller, and yet he met with me, and I, we just got a chance to share and, and touch base. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. He was a really good friend, and I'm very grateful. Um, there's parts of life. I, I mean, I can discipline myself not to look at pornography. I can discipline myself uh, to brush my teeth. There's things we can do. Righteousness in this place, there's quorum Deo and quorum hominibus in Latin. Quorum Deo means the righteousness that you have before God. Paul tells us, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Nobody has, except for Jesus, had quorum Deo, God, quorum, righteous according to God. Nobody has that. But James says, right, faith without works. Quorum hominibus is your righteousness in your dealings and your relationships. And there are people like Job and others who were considered righteous, or Cornelius, and that means... That you didn't lie. You know, you pay your taxes. You're not cheating. 
Uh, you're not, you, you know, you, when someone says something, you do it. When you, you, and you're, 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 you do the part that you can do. It'll never be enough to get you to heaven, but it does matter that because of our respect and love for God, that we do the part that we can do. Every one of us can read our scriptures in the morning. Every one of us can say, thanks for getting up, Lord. Thanks for getting me up. Thanks for this day. I give it to you. Everyone, there's a whole lot of things that everyone can do. People who do those things, the Bible calls righteous in the sense of quorum hominibus. All right? And I, that's Latin. And I, you know, I took Latin, but don't count on the pronunciation, but I can spell it if you need. All right? So quorum Deo, righteous according to God. That's what Paul's talking about. See, all these people think that Romans and James don't agree. No, no. They're talking about different things. Paul's talking about righteous before God. James is talking about our interaction, the way we live our life, all right, with other people. Two different things, the same word, but it means different things in the context. All right. So Simeon was righteous. I love the proverb that says uh, that, that the righteous man keeps his word even to his own harm. I was with a guy at an African-American church where I worked many years ago. I was in Mississippi, and uh, a woman in the church had gotten pregnant. And I don't know what got in this guy, uh, but uh, a guy named Cleveland Blunt was his name. And he said, if you got twins, my daughter's telling me to take another sip. Uh, he told the woman who just found she was pregnant, long before she could have known she had twins, he said, if you had twins, I'll give you 500 bucks, which is a lot of money today, but it was a lot of money back then. And wouldn't you know it, she had twins. And he paid her 500 bucks. And this guy didn't have a lot of money. That was a, I guarantee it was more than his mortgage. I can assure you, I am absolutely certain. And I was like, wow. I've been trying to find out like, well, my fingers were crossed. I've been trying to find some way out of it. I can't afford 500 bucks. I mean, if I told you how many times I lost a million dollars to my brother playing ping pong, I mean, I don't even want to think about it. So Simeon was a righteous man. You could count on him doing the things that were his part to do. But it also says he was devout. Devout means to hold on to. He held on to the things of God, meaning he did his part, but of course, none of us can hold on enough, but to hold on is to hold on in faith. He held on and made the things of God his priority. And the people who are righteous and devout, when we reach out, we can't always hold on, but the people who reach out to hold on, God holds on to us. That's what grace is. That's what the righteousness of Jesus means. Simeon had a glimpse of these things, and he was righteous, and he was devout. And he was given a kind of a hard job or a, a strange job. And he was eagerly waiting. For the, now, he had been told to wait for the Messiah. That was his job. He's in his old age. We, we think he's in his 90s. We think he was at least as old as uh, Anna, which we think is maybe 104 or 5. The typical woman uh, married at 19 could have been earlier, but we say, let's say 19. Uh, could have been 14, 15, depending. But, but, uh, and then she was married seven years before her husband died, and she was widowed for 84 years. You can't see that in all English translations, but, but it appears in the Greek that she stayed widowed for 84 years. That's a long time. We think Simeon was the same, at least uh, in his age. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly, he didn't give up. I get distracted. There's days this last year, I just don't feel good. There's days I'm thinking about my kids. There's things I'm thinking about my future. There's things, I, I mean, it's so easy to get distracted. I'm so distractible. And there's promises that God's given me, and, and there's days I forget even the ones I've tried to be careful and write down, there's days I forget because if we remember, see, this is what hope's about. 
Every day we're supposed to be longing for the fact that Jesus is returning and we're on the winning side. That's what hope is, the story that you believe in. To believe in Jesus' story is the motivation. It's the only thing that will give you the energy to live day by day and to have faith. You have to choose the story. If you're all alone, if you believe the devil's story about you, you might as well give up. And some of you, we're giving up. We're in seasons of giving up. We're giving up about our marriage. He'll never change. She'll never change. It'll never change. Our finances. There's all kinds of things. Because we have forgot the story that we're in. And we're in Jesus' story. And Jesus is coming back. And every promise is yes in him. But if you don't stay rock solid on the story that you believe in, Hope precedes faith. You cannot walk in faith every day if you don't stay anchored to the story. Here's a man that was eagerly waiting for the fulfillment of the story. When he had every reason to be distracted. God hadn't spoken for 400 years. For 800 years, Ezekiel tells in the first eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit of God had left the temple. The last prophetic voice was Malachi 400 years earlier. And yet here's someone who internally the Spirit had said something to, and he paid attention to it, and all these years, he's going to the temple, and he's eagerly anticipating the Messiah, who the Bible says is the consolation of all things. The consolation is the comfort, the restoration. He's waiting in the prayer that we pray and longing every day, thy kingdom come now. Remember, it's a command. Jesus said in a command. He didn't say, thy kingdom come. It's, thy kingdom come right now. Thy will be done right now. That's how Jesus prayed it. That's supposed to center us. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, but we know the end of the story, and therefore by faith we're longing and we're reaching out and we're eager because we know sooner or later his kingdom is coming. That's the kind of guy this was. And he did it a long time. And he had every reason to be distracted and to be discouraged and to have his bad days. And yet on this day, he finds himself once again eagerly waiting for the Lord's Messiah. That day, 27, the Spirit led him to the temple. You have to walk with God in the little things to hear God and not miss. How, can you imagine how easy it would be for some of us? I mean, I hate to say it, there's a big ball game coming on. I'm thinking about West Virginia. Disappointed again yesterday. But anyway, I mean, I'm thinking about West Virginia. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, there's so many things and good things. And we can miss, if we're not walking with Jesus in the little things, we miss the big things. Here's a guy, because he was paying attention to little things, when the Spirit says, hey, go to the temple, this time, this place. Now, when he goes, he doesn't go where he'd normally go. He goes to the court of, led by the Spirit, the court of the Gentiles and the women. He had the right to press in further. But the Lord said, go right here. He heard him because he honored him and the little things. People who walk with intimacy and the little things are given spiritual insight and grace in profound ways. The Holy Spirit, he was righteous, devoutly eager for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. By the way, that means it's in perfect tense. It means the Holy Spirit remained on him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon Gideon, he'd come upon Samson, come upon Moses, and then leave. What's profound is in this middle season with Jesus and his birth, the Holy Spirit stayed on him and had revealed to him 
that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I don't know about you, the Lord's given me promises, and sometimes I talk myself out of them. I think, did I really hear that? Because, man, it's been 20 years. But every now and then, I get one of these ones that are on my long list of things God said, and they happen, I realize, oh, wow, I didn't talk myself in that one. There's hope. There's hope. And I, and I go back to my, is it, Lord, forgive me, you know, I go back to him. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, the presentation of the baby back to God, he's yours. He's our firstborn. He's yours. They present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord as the Lord required. As the Lord, as the law required. Simeon was there. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by accident. He took the child in his arms and he praised God. Now, the restoration, if you go to Isaiah, which is the book that it mostly talks about the consolation of Israel, there's about eight different passages that talk about explicitly the same word in the Septuagint and in Hebrew. Now, it's all about the victory and the triumph and the, and the power and all these things that are going to happen. Meaning, imagine, you know, uh, well, king of kings, lord of lords. His rule's never going to end. All, so if you're being told that you're going to live until the Messiah, the anointed one, comes, you're expecting to see him the star quarterback. You're expecting to see him this warrior. You're, you're not expecting to see him in infancy. Not only does he have the sense to be led to the Spirit, he can see in a crying baby all the future and all the promises that are yes and amen. It's just because he did the little things. He does the little things. The Spirit stayed. See, the Holy Spirit remained with him. Guess what? If you know Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, you have Jesus in the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit is, does the Spirit have you? That's a different question. But if you're born again, you've got the Spirit. Can you imagine to see in infancy by the Spirit, to walk with the intimacy with God that you could see in a crying kid that doesn't look like a whole lot? Everything. Given one job. He wasn't given China as a mission field. He wasn't given, I mean, all things. The Father appointed him to long for Jesus. Do you know one of the most important callings you have in your life, and this church has, is to long for Jesus. It's discouraging because we see the Holy Spirit heal some people, but not everyone. We go overseas and we see way more healing. And I, yet he's giving us a calling here at St. Andrews to long for Jesus. This is one of the calls. But there's a lot of disappointment. If you're going to long for Jesus, there's a lot of delays, as you know. There's a lot of warfare. There's a lot of other things. And we're longing and we're longing and we don't know when. but we could be St. Simeon's. I'd be happy with the name of St. Simeon's of the church. A people set apart to long for God and to pray thy kingdom come, no matter how dark and crazy and bizarre and, and weird and wicked it is all around us. That's what the Bible wants us to know about Simeon, an example for us. A man who longed for Jesus and given a promise given a promise that he held on to so that when Jesus comes, 
he doesn't miss it. Now, he sings then this song that's one of the most famous songs in church history. It's been incorporated in the music of the church from the very beginning. It's called, in Latin, Nunc Dimittis, which is, uh, now let our Savior depart in peace. So, here it is. He says first, he thanks God. He says, God, thank you because you're God who keeps his promises. Now, he had to know the promises, be looking for the promises to appreciate what a wonderful thing. Let's look at verse 29. Sovereign Lord. Now, this is the word for despot. It's like despotes in Greek. I can't, you know, my Greek is not any better than my Latin uh, or my English. But nonetheless, this means absolutely despot, absolute power. I'm nothing. That's, what, that's the idea here. He says, my, so, so the English office says sovereign Lord, trying to explain the absolute power in, in, in retrospect to the, to the littleness that he understood of himself. Oh, sovereign Lord, I think that's what the King James says. But anyway, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. This past week, I was with one of our members, and he's in his 90s, and he's sick, and his mind's sharp as a tack, and I said, uh, hey, look. I said, I've seen Jesus raise people up even in a situation like yours. I said, but it's okay if you want to pray for a peaceful death. What, how do you want me to pray? He said, Ron, I want to be with Jesus. It was no, oh, man, he's like, I want to be with Jesus. Don't pray anything but that I have a peaceful death. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm not praying that for a 30-year-old or a 50-year-old, but, but he passed his 82 mark. He did a good job. He's following the Lord faithfully. And he said, but I'm ready. It's time. So my prayer, uh, I get him, Lord, give him a peaceful death. And I'm quite sure the Lord's going to grant him exactly that at just the right, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. But that's how he asked me to pray. And, 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 and this is how Simeon prays. Oh, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. You promised me to live until now. Now I've seen it all. He, he saw the whole thing, by the way, in a baby. He didn't just see it was the Messiah. He didn't have to be there for the wedding of Cana. He didn't have to be there when he cast out the demons of the Gadarene. He didn't have to be there for the feeding of the 5,000 or for the cross or, 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 or the resurrection or the ascension. He saw the whole thing right then by faith. The whole oak tree is contained in the acorn, as the hillbillies like to say. Now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, you're a God who keeps his promises. You told me to hold on into law. He says, I've been disappointed and I've been waiting. But I can see it now. I'm ready to go. He says, I've seen your salvation, verse 30, which you have prepared for all people. It's not just for me. It's going to be for everyone, Simeon says. He sees it, not just the Jews, but the, the Gentiles, the whole world. It's going to be for all people. I'm seeing it now. I've been waiting. Here I am. I get it. I'm ready to go. But, but though I'm leaving, boy, it's going to go everywhere. Here we are 2,000 years later. 32, he will be a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. He is the revelation of all that you promised. You know, we, we say, glory be to thee, O Lord. When we get to read the gospel, and we're saying, Lord, manifest yourself. We don't just say those words because in the liturgy. We say it because now we're getting ready to read the gospel. Lord, reveal yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we read your word, open up our hearts. And then we say at the end, praise be to thee, O Christ. That you're the kind of God that keeps his promises and manifests your salvation that we're still able to be inheritors of it, just like Simeon was all those years ago. Then we hear about Anna the prophetess. Uh, 
Can you imagine? Even with all the New Testament examples of Paul taking women to preach to women, etc., cetera, et cetera, that there be people. I mean, this ha- I mean, just unbelievable. The evil things they said about Beth Moore, who's been so uh, careful under anyone's rules, and yet people who, I don't know if it's misogyny, I don't know if it's deception or pride, I don't know what it is. But let me tell you, God has appointed men and women, and he's given them gifts, and he didn't do it by accident. A prophetess. Jesus' parents were amazed at what said to him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, this baby's mother, there's good news and bad news, he's the one, but not everyone's going to get on board. This child is destined to be the cause of many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. They'll have to make a decision. Can't be neutral. He has been sent to be a sign from God. Some are going to reject. Some are going to accept. But many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and changed and transformed. And a sword will peace your very soul. And she experienced that in her own Christian journey, but certainly she did by seeing him on the cross. But she experienced it as a believer in this life as well. Now, Anna, a prophet, that's what the Bible says. Again, no one here is going to have a problem with that, but nonetheless, it's, it's just amazing. Anna, a prophet, who was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phineal, I don't know how you say it, from the tribe of Asher. The Asher was part of the ten lost tribes. She had kept the records. Her family knew. So amongst the ten tribes, join the tribe of Asher. This is amazing. Not, not expected. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Now, this in the Greek, a lot of people think it's 84 years as a widow. Whatever it is, she's old, but I'm not sure exactly. She never left the temple. Does that mean she never went to the bathroom? Of course, she, she went to the bathroom. Okay, But she made her business. Night and day, she was there praying and fasting. Excuse me. She never left the table, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. That was her worship. That was her sacrifice. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. People that are intimate with God, who who are led by the Spirit, recognize the Spirit in other people. That's what koinonia, the the gift of koinonia, it's a gift of the Spirit. It's to know as family the people of God. That spiritual riches of knowing, oh, we're in in Chad, and these people, they look Muslim, but they've accepted Jesus, and, and you know them as family. A grace to know as family by the power of the Holy Spirit. Koinonia. She recognizes Simeon, she recognizes the baby. She began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone. Do you know what people thought? They thought she was kooky. I don't, the Bible doesn't say that, but I'm telling you. I've met these people. Always talking about... The, 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 people thought people like Simeon and Anna were kooky. They saw them for years and years and years, spend all their time praying and worshiping and fasting, not knowing that God had put it in their heart to, to long for something that wasn't yet because he was coming and sending it. People who walk by the Spirit, people who really know God, they look kooky because they got a foot in heaven. People that have a foot in heaven, they don't look like the rest of us. Listen, there's, they're just kooky, kooky people, and then there's kooky people because they've had a revelation of God. 
Make it your business to be kooky in the sense that a foot of your life is in heaven. That you're so focused on walking with forgiveness and repentance. Listen, we're, we got all kinds of issues. The Bible says, be you perfect, he is perfect. The word in the Greek is teleos or mature, but it means and it's used when you break a bone and you put it back right so it sets right. When you rip a net, the Bible knows that we're not going to be perfect without sin. Perfect for the believer is people of quick repentance. We're restored. The, the word teleos or to be perfect, be you perfect, he is perfect. It is to live in a way that we're in such repentance running to Jesus with our sins, that we're restored so that we're made. And guess what? The bone, they say, is stronger at the mend than it was before it was broken because we've encountered the Holy Spirit in the blood of Jesus in those places. Make it your business to be like that, and you won't miss Jesus. You won't miss his spirit, and you won't miss a whole bunch of other people, even if they look so different to us. Listen, the Holy Spirit has given us a calling here too long for revival and the restoration of his spirit in the church that we would be born again, that we would be emotionally healthy, that we would know physical healing as a natural common thing in Jesus' name, that we would know the power of the Lord over all the demons, that we would see the restoration of families, that we would walk in what Jesus did in Luke and what the church did in Acts. That's what we're here for. And it isn't the way we want. It's not the way the Bible promised. And so like Simeon, our job is to long and to pray to heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Simeon didn't receive it on the first day, but he got it. It wasn't easy. It couldn't have been. But that's our calling. There's churches all over Gainesville worshiping the Lord, doing a great job at their calling. Our calling is to be empty, is to let God strip everything away. Not just have a bunch of deadness. There's plenty of people with deadness that have no life of God. That's not what I'm talking about. Our calling is to be people who know what it means to be empty, who've let Jesus get rid of all the dead stuff but also trust enough to let us be empty so that he could fill us to accomplish the works of Jesus in this world. That's our job. That's our calling. That's our destiny. It ain't easy, but man, there's other people that got their own problems doing their own part of it. They're doing faith. They got their own challenges. That's our challenge. We want to be like Simeon. Oh Lord, give us the grace. to be empty. Not for emptiness sake, but because the Spirit wants to come in such a powerful way, there's not enough room for him yet. There just isn't enough room with all the other stuff we got in our lives. He's, he's just going to get rid of that stuff and take away all the other longings that we could experience an emptiness that comes with the promise those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the righteousness of God, they will be filled. They will be filled. But it's not a quick journey, but I hope it's soon. We, 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 we saw the Spirit move in Colombia. Oh, not, not like India quite, but powerfully. I thought, man, we're getting closer. 
We may still be saying we're getting closer, like Simeon, in our eight. I don't know. But I know this. That's our job. Lord, we give you the right to do whatever it is you got to do in us to create the space that your spirit could dwell richly in us and through us. Lord Jesus, we calmly we pray. Things are not the way. They can be. They're not the way they've been. And Lord, you say that it's going from glory to glory. There, there's more than even the greatest things we've seen in the past. There's, there's far more coming. Lord, we thank you for Simeon. A regular guy who lived in an irregular way. Lord, would you help us to make it our business to walk humbly with you every day. To walk honestly in righteousness with the people around us, to do the part we can do, and, and in our sins to come quickly to repent, that we could be transformed. And Lord, I pray that you would take away, Lord, the emotional stuff, the spiritual bondage, the physical sickness. Lord, you restore our families because that's what you promised that you came to do. So Lord, we long for nothing less, and we long for your return. Oh, Lord. Would you come? We just sense, Lord, that you're, you're so busy at work with the Hindus and the Muslims and, and all these others. We go around the earth and we just can't believe what you're doing. Lord, like the song, pass me not. Lord, we pray that as you, as you touch Africa and, and Asia, Lord, don't forget us. We really need you, Lord. But we give you the right because you are King of kings. and Lord, Lord, do whatever it takes to slay and to kill everything in us, Lord. that you could transform us in that place of emptiness that you'd fill us. That's what we long for, Lord, on our good days. Lord, we pray we'd have more and more good days. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.